Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello, church. Welcome to this new year. Today we're talking about first fruits as we go into new things. And we're starting by reading from Deuteronomy 26, verse 1, where it says, And it shall be, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land, and that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket, and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, and you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. As they were coming into the promised land, the new land, God told them to take the first of their produce, the very, very first, and give it to the Lord. You see, up until that time, they had been slaves in Egypt, but now they were God's people. He was providing. And one of the important signs that he wanted them to give was to give him the first of their produce. He goes on in verse 10 to say that when they give it, they are supposed to say with their mouths, And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And so you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, according to all your commandments, which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us, just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, there were some complicated tithing instructions in the Old Testament. There were actually three tithes of 10% each for different people, some for the poor, some for them to celebrate, um, and some for the Levites. Uh, the one for the poor was only given every third year. So there, there are some complicated rules in the Old Testament, but what I want us to focus on today is that it was an important principle and it was called the holy tithe that they had to remove from their house and they had to say to God, God, this is yours, it's yours. Even though it came to me, it was never mine. I was holding on to it for you. Here it is, it's yours. I'm giving it back to you. I haven't used it for any of these other uses. And they were good uses, giving to people who were mourning and all these different things. They say, no, no, we're gonna follow your instructions. 
Now, why did God want them to do that? Obviously, we can see from this passage that he wants them to remember that it's God who has given them the increase. And that is a very, very important principle for us to remember. But there is a greater principle. In Romans 11 verse 16, it says, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. God has put in place a principle called first fruits, where he says, if you will give the first portion to me, I will bless the whole thing. Isn't that an amazing gift from the Lord and an amazing principle? So to put it in other contexts, if you start a marriage and you dedicate that marriage to the Lord and you say, Lord, we're doing it your way. We're giving ourselves to you. This marriage is yours. He says, I bless the whole thing. If you start a job, in the same way, he blesses it. If you move to a new country, a new house, and you start the right way, he says, I bless the whole thing. If you take at the beginning of the week or the month or the year, what you get in income and you give it to the Lord, he says, I bless the whole thing. And your time, if you start your day giving it to the Lord, your week and your month and your year, and you say, Lord, this is yours, he says, I bless the whole thing. And there's a further principle of this as well, where he says Jesus is the first fruit so that the whole human race can be blessed. And we as believers are a kind of first fruit so that our whole community can be blessed by the Lord when we pray for our community and we give ourselves to him. Isn't that an amazing principle? Have you heard about first fruits before? Have you been part of this amazing system that God put in place called first fruits? Let me read you a couple of scriptures. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20 says, Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. So it says that Adam was the first fruits of the human race. And because he sinned, the whole human race was under sin. Amazing. And then Christ came as the second Adam. And he brought life, resurrection, forgiveness, the power of God. And everyone who is in Christ, Jesus is the first fruits, which is why God can say, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we have become the righteousness of God in Him, in Jesus, because He is our first fruits. Isn't that amazing? And then the second verse from James 1 verse 18 says, Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. A kind of first fruits. We're not an, a perfect first fruit. Just because Christians love God doesn't mean that the whole of the community and the whole of his creation is forgiven. But we are a kind of first fruits because he looks with favor upon your city, your family, your land, uh, because you are a believer. And as you come before him, you stand in the gap and in the place and you say, Lord, I pray for my community and he blesses them. And you have a degree, you are a kind of first fruits. You have a degree of authority and influence over your community because you are believers and because of the churches in your area. Isn't that amazing? 
But now I just want to focus on uh, the finances side of things because it is a question that comes up a lot and there is some misunderstanding. Many people say the Old Testament says we must tithe, therefore we must tithe. 10%, how do I do it? Is it on gross or net? Um, how do I work it out? What's, what's the story? Will I get cursed if I don't tithe? Because they're looking at the Old Testament and I want to clarify a couple of things. The first thing I want to clarify is that money is important and it does show the attitude of your heart. Even though the first fruits is supposed to be all the different areas of our lives and predominantly our heart's allegiance to God. Your money shows where your heart is. Um, where your heart is, there your treasure will be, Jesus said. And yet he also said that money is the least, <laughs> the very least, the smallest one of the things that we are supposed to give to the Lord. Did you know that? He said, if you can't obey God and follow God in this tiny matter of money, how will you be able to follow him and obey him in all the other areas of your life? So Luke chapter 6, 16 and verse 9 says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That's talking about money. Unrighteous mammon. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. What's that, that saying? He's just told a parable about a servant who used his cleverness to make a way and make friends for himself after he was fired from his job. And Jesus said, use money here on earth. We're in an unrighteous fallen world, but use your money to make friends in heaven, to lay up treasures in heaven so that it will benefit you after you die, when you fail. Then he goes on to say, he who is faithful in what is least, least, Money is the least. You know, some of us think, I'll work my way up to tithing. I'll give God my worship. I'll give God my love. I'll say the words, I love you. And money maybe will come later. He says money is the least. He who is faithful in least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches. That's where God shares his ministry, his power, his heart, his plans and desires for the world with you. And he makes you a partner. And Jesus says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends because you know your master's business. True riches. He wants to share his heart with you. He wants to partner with you and do great things through you. But he says, how are you doing with this little thing called unrighteous? mammon. It's a small thing, folks. The world says it's the main thing, but it's a small thing because it will pass away, because it comes and it goes. Moth and rust destroy. I grew up in a country which was very prosperous, and then we suddenly had hyperinflation, where prices were doubling every day, sometimes every hour, and wealth that people had, huge amounts of wealth, was completely eroded in a matter of days. And I realized that money is a small, small thing. And God can provide in amazing circumstances, even when there is no strong economy and no logical way for you to be provided for. God can provide because he hasn't forgotten the recipe of manna. 
He still has crows who can feed you like they fed Elijah. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And God will look after you. Money is a small thing, my friend. But he goes on to say, And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? What is another man's? It's that tithe. It's that amount of money where God says, I give you everything. All that you have comes from me. But there's a portion that in the Old Testament was 10% plus 10% plus another 10% every three years. But the numbers are less important than the idea of there is something which I'm giving to God to show that it's his. He says, who will give you what is your own? In other words, how will God trust you to do ministry for him and to and to represent him. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So what is the story about the New Testament and the Old Testament? The big principle is money is a test of my loyalty to God, but it's the least of them all. And generosity is a way of showing God that I'm grateful, that I acknowledge everything is from Him, and I love Him. If you're not generous, friend, I must question, based on these scriptures, whether your heart belongs to Jesus. Because if God, the great giver, has given you everything, it's overflowing out of you, you will be a great giver. But what is the difference? The Old Testament is rules because people's hearts were not made new yet. The New Testament, God says, I will give them a new heart. I will write my laws on their minds and on their hearts. I will make them want to obey me. He gives you the will and the desire and the ability to obey him. Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 says, Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you new desires in your heart. And so the Old Testament is laws and rules. Let me use two illustrations. The first is of a nurse who is contracted to a hospital. She signed a legal contract. It says she must work a certain number of hours every week. It says that she must abide by certain rules and regulations and guidelines. There are many things she has to do, something she's not allowed to do. There are rules written down on a piece of paper. She signed it. If she keeps all the rules of the contract, she gets paid a wage at the end of every month. If she doesn't, she gets fired. And the reason she's working is out of duty, obligation, trying to earn her pay at the end of the month, and sometimes out of a begrudging fear that she might get in trouble by her boss. That same nurse goes home at night and her little child is sick and she will stay up all night nursing, looking after the child, tending to it, caring for it. There's no contract. There's no boss telling her what to do. There's no wage at the end of the month. It's out of pure love. That is the difference between rules on the outside and a heart that has been changed between the Old Testament and the New. I wonder if that helps you a little bit. A second illustration is of a man climbing a mountain and he's got his backpack with all of his food and drink on his back. And it's a heavy weight. It weighs about 10 kilograms. And as he's climbing this mountain, the weight of his backpack makes it very difficult for him to climb. But he knows he needs this food. And so he keeps climbing until he gets to a point where he can stop and have lunch. At lunchtime, he takes that drink and that food and he consumes it. And it brings him delight and joy. Plus, it brings him energy on the inside and it's no longer a weight on his back. And that is the difference 
between an Old Testament believer who had the laws on the back, on the outside of them, carrying them on their back. Isaiah 46, it talks about the idols. It says, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. They are a heavy load to carry. But then God says, but I am the one who will carry you until your old age and gray hairs. I will carry you. That's the difference. In the Old Testament, there were outside rules. People were obeying them out of fear, out of duty, out of obligation. There were strict rules about what you can and can't do, uh, what the penalties and the rewards would be. But in the New Testament, it's out of love. That law is now within us as a source of energy and strength and joy and delight, and we want to obey. And so in the Old Testament, there were rules about uh, the Sabbath, one day, very strict rules. You must rest. In the New Testament, Hebrews 4 says, Those who have entered God's rest have ceased from their labor. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Our whole lives are a Sabbath because we're not laboring to please God anymore. He has forgiven us by Jesus' death on the cross, and we don't need to work to earn our salvation anymore. Now, does that mean we don't need to have a day off a week? No, we still do. It's still good uh, common sense and it's good for our health and it's good for the way we're made. But it's not something I obey out of fear or duty and I'm not guilty if I haven't obeyed it one week. Um, it's a clever principle that God has given us to help us look after our well-being and our physical bodies. But the bigger principle in the New Testament is rest. I love God and I serve him out of a place of rest and not work. And there are many others. All of the rules in the Old Testament have a New Testament equivalent that is much greater. And it comes out of joy and a desire and a love for God and not a fear of punishment and not a duty or a worry that I'm not good enough. I come out of a place of rest and abundance. And I want to say the same is true with our finances. So what do we do? Well, we still purpose to set aside a portion of money. We set it aside based on our income, not um, out of duty or obligation. I'm not going to get fired or sent to hell or cursed if I don't. There's, there's none of that fear in, in it anymore. But because it comes from my heart, because God has poured his love into me, I'm actually more generous than I would have been under the Old Testament tithing system. Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. God is longing and looking for a way to pour blessing into your life. This least matter of finances, unrighteous mammon, he says, get this right. And there's a whole lot of other things that will be poured into you as well. But it starts with this. It's one of the, the smaller matters that we must learn to, whenever I've received, I give to God, and then he gives back to me. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, let me read you a couple of things. In 1 Corinthians 6, 16, verse 2, he says, on the first day of the week, on the first day, first fruits, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside storing up as he may prosper. In other words, it's, it's a proportion of what you get in. If you get something, you, you say, this proportion is for God. It's just something that I've decided, not because I'm going to be punished if I don't, not because I'm fearful, 
but because I love God and I acknowledge what he's given me, that there may be no collections when I come, he says. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy... Listen to this. This is not people trying to obey rules. This is people who are filled with God's love. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. When they were poor, they were generous still. He says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They asked if they could give, not the other way around. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. First gave themselves. First fruits. Beautiful. And then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. It's grace. It's not law. It's a, it's a beautiful overflowing of grace. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. And we know that this is the least unrighteous mammon as the smallest of these first fruits. But now you also must complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. It's out of what you have, friends. You don't give out of what you don't have. You don't give using a credit card, borrowing money to give to the church. You give out of what has, God has given you. And as you give a proportion, he pours in more good measure, pressed down, shaken together. You give out of that and you get out of debt that way, but not by being silly and giving out of what you don't have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. And then in 2 Corinthians 9, he concludes this teaching. And he says, Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There is a principle in place that has been there from seed time and harvest, from the beginning of time, that the more you sow, the more you reap. But it's not out of greed. It's not out of wrong motives. It's not out of law. It's not out of fear of being cursed or, or hurt. It's out of love. He goes on to say, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, as he purposes. We decide beforehand, friends. We're not convinced by um, a pressurized message telling us to give. We decide beforehand. That is the measure of people who love God. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Yes, indeed. That is New Testament generosity. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God wants you to be able to continue to give because he wants to partner with us in this matter of giving and receiving. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. 
I want to close with this. Out of what you have, some is seed and some is bread. It says he gives you seed and bread. You decide how much is seed to be planted, given back to the Lord, and how much is bread to be eaten. And it says he multiplies the seed that you sow. You decide, my friend, you decide. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Lord, as we start this year, we want to give you the first fruits of our hearts first, our time, our affection, our energy, our excitement, but also our money. And Lord, we want to be faithful with unrighteous mammon so that we can partner with you in so many great things. We love you, Lord. We thank you for blessing this year ahead. We thank you, God, for all the good things that you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.